0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned. and make profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet MicroCap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet MicroCap on Twitter at Bobby K Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. and you're listening to episode 219. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the Microcap message. Special thank you to our sponsors for today's episode, Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash pmc. That's streamrgco co backslash PMC and quarter whose mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Visit your app store of choice to try it out. And that's quarter Q-U-A-R-T-R. We are very excited to host our first in-person event in nearly three years. The Planet Microcap showcase is back in Las Vegas on May 3rd through the 5th, 2022 at Bally's Hotel and Casino. We have already announced our initial companies that will be presenting at the event. Some names that really don't do a lot of events, uh, virtual or in-person when they were happening. So we're very excited about our list of presenters as well as our speakers. And it's just—it's time to see each other. It's time to network in person. Let's make it all happen in the entertainment and business capital of the world. Please go to www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com for more information. And I'll see you in Vegas. Now for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Alex Gurevich, the founder and chief investment officer at Hante Advisors. Alex's new book, The Trades of March, which is currently on sale, focuses on how his decision making evolved throughout the onset of the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Crises are inevitable. Unfortunately, we're in the middle of a horrible one right now with the humanitarian crisis and despicable invasion of Ukraine. Alex discusses managing the psychological turmoil of trading through crises and doing one's best to overcome irrational thinking. I am certain you will find a strategy or two that can help you in your investing process. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 219 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Alex Gurevich. streamrg.co backslash pmc that's s-t-r-e-a-m-r-g.co backslash pmc welcome back everyone to the planet microcap podcast i'm your host robert kraft and joining me today is alex gurevich he's the founder and chief investment officer at Hante advisors alex thank you for joining me today how are you doing thank you for having me i'm excited
1: to have this conversation
0: me too as well. Uh, so, well, first things first, before we get into your background and everything, I think you need to license your backdrop for those who are watching this on YouTube. Th- that is not a stock backdrop. That is his actual backdrop with the books. I know a few folks that might want to borrow that if, if that's okay with you.
1: Well, anything to make money will work.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, okay. I, I, lo- I love to start off every podcast with uh, starting with, with your background. You know, uh, where, when did your passion for investing
1: begin and, and how did you get to where you are today? So my passion, it, it's of course a little difficult to say like when the passion for investing per se begin. I, I mean, the first moment I can point to is preschool when I started the commodity exchange out of toys with my friends when I was like four or five years old. So that's probably the starting point. Uh, I think like I always had a passion for strategy. What I like always to talk about investing, if you want to be a trader, as opposed to, say, a quantitative analyst, you have to combine two qualities, two kinds of skills, skills of analysis and analysis and skills of strategy, because analysis is about finding solution, about putting all the facts together and coming up with an answer. And I was trained as a mathematician. I was always into math. If you seriously ask me who I wanted to be when I was four years old, I would say I want to be a mathematician. And that generally was my path in life. But strategy is a different way of thinking. You don't always have an answer in markets. Strategy is a system of responses. How would you act in different situations? And I felt always a passion for both of those things. So when
0: you were coming up, and, you know, I know it's a very it's a very big question, say, where where did your passion for investing begin? Some folks know exactly when it was. Other folks are still, are, you know, it, it, it was just it was just you knew like this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to invest and figure out the strategy as I continue to evolve over time. Was there was there a point when you thought, OK, preschool, I'm doing my commodity exchange with the blocks to. All right. I know this is what I want to do for sure for the rest of my life. And I want to go about it this way.
1: You know, honestly that happened much later
0: because mm-hmm. I had
1: an ongoing fascination with financial markets, which came from my, which linked to my fascination with strategic games and competing. I remember, so I grew up in Russia as a teenage in Russia. I saw the movie wall street and I was totally fascinated by it. I know mean, many people talk about the irony of this movie. That it was supposed to be a cautionary tale. Instead it was, it, it served to actually attract millions of young people to Wall Street. All it, it was a cautionary trade, failed to play it straight. But you could see right away that there are so many opportunities, so much to do on Wall Street why, by playing it straight. And there is so much to lose by doing otherwise. Exactly. Like the risk-reward of uh, cutting any corners on Wall Street is just horrible given how much money you can make or how well you can do for yourself and how much fun you can have by actually doing your job honestly and and that was really what the movie wall street was about and um i remember being like a teenager in russia walking in the forest with my friend and talking about how we're going to be big wall street traders but it was a little vague because my natural path was always to be a math professor that's what kind of like my whole life was flowing naturally in that path so the real decision Had to be made. So somewhere in the back of my head, I was like, I'm going to somehow be involved in financial markets. That was somewhere in the back of my head, but I didn't really know what form it would take. And the decision was really didn't happen until I was in my late 20s when I got my PhD, graduated, and then I was at the fork.
0: Right. Uh, You're you're about to be the professor and then somebody in financial markets was like, hey, no, you should come over here and start, you know, maybe you can use some of those math principles that you're using and uh, make a little
1: more money. I'm sure (laughs) that's probably how, how it went, huh? (laughs) yes that's how it went i started i i was a little concerned about academic career at that point i didn't want to like move around and have certain uncertainty what is interesting is that i was worried about like getting good academic jobs it turned out that i had all the best academic offers so my decision was actually hard i was i had all the offers i wanted to have when i graduated my thesis was good my advisor was amazing and i had really good response to what I was working but then I also knew that like I'm not Einstein I knew I was good but I knew the measure of me like by the time you did a few years of this you did like the graduate school you wrote your PhD thesis you went to a few talks you know how good you are I know I knew I was very solid but I did not think I would be the greatest gift of science in the history of science And and in me there was a desire to try something new and I really wanted to go straight into trading not to do like a quantitative research I was very specific about this, at any juncture in my future Wall Street career, when people try to steer me into something quantitative, I would say I'd be very happy in academia doing research. I mean, I know you can make more money on Wall Street, but that lifestyle offset would be quite, quite significant to be in academia. For me, this was about being out there in the trenches, trading the markets. Right.
0: Well, why, why, why did you choose that strategy? Uh, You know, talking about trading, Um, and and I ask this because. I actually haven't had that many. Uh, we've had a few traders on here to talk a little about technical analysis, stuff like that. But for the most part, we have guests on talking about, you know, long-term strategies, hedging a little bit, even a little bit of shorting. Um, but for the most part, no trading. So I, I'm always curious whenever we talk to someone that's specifically focused on using that as their tool, you know, why trading? How did you come to that?
1: Well, I think it is. First of all, there are, Any person, this is kind of would be advice to any young person for me. If you choose what to do, you need to find a confluence of three things. Something that you love, something which is fun for you, something that you're good at. And if you care about money, something that actually pays. And it is actually possible to find those things. I mean, if you really think through, and I think people often go astray by sacrificing one of those things. And sacrificing, for example, being like many people do what they're good at and what they're passionate about, uh, but which does not pay them, they really end up with a lot of stress on their life. It's unfortunate. I wish all the people who are passionate about stuff could get paid. But for people who care about this, I mean, I, I needed to make money at some point in my life. I was a refugee in this country, right? So uh, so I, I did care about finding something that works for me. But I also wanted to find something which is fun for me. Strategy is fun for me. I love games. I love competing. Uh, so for me, and I knew that I was good at strategy. So it's very natural for me to get involved in something which is dynamic. Having said that, I have a lot of patience and I have a lot of kind of ability to look deep into the future, which makes me involved get involved in long-term trading strategies. But to your point, it's very important not to confuse traders with investors, and what's, that's what I tell my, my my investors and my clients. If you want to buy and hold something, that's not me. I am still, the ultimate goal of my business is to buy low and to sell high. Whether you do it every second or every five years, you are still buying low and selling high. You are not buying a business because you believe in it and stay with it for 30 years. That's not what I'm about. I'm about looking for things which are cheap and to buy and things which are expensive to sell. Very good.
0: All right. So before we, you know, the main reason I wanted to speak with you today is um, you have a a book that's coming out um, that we'll get to in a little bit having to do with Um, you know, a little bit of uh, looking into the future and then trading through various crises that have that have happened uh, in recent years. Um, But before we get there, you know, I I wanted to learn a little bit more about Hante Advisors. Can Can you tell us a little bit about it and when it was founded and why you founded it?
1: Yeah, so my original career was on Wall Street banks, and I went through a few of them. Most importantly, J.P. Morgan was my last few years. And starting from 2007, I was basically doing various things on my own. A lot of it was managing my own money, and I did well with this, and I enjoyed managing my own money. But I got to the point that I realized that I actually enjoyed talking to investors, and I felt a little underutilized because I felt, well, I'm doing all those things that tend to make money in the long run, and I could easily have other people riding along and then i started to have people actually asking me ex- explicitly like can i ride along with you and i said well i need to create a structure to do it and actually it's not so simple to create a structure to with all proper operations and compliance and proper client protections for me it was very important to have a business partner i could work with and i had i uh, because someone had to do the business side i'm not a I'm not a person for like go-getter who's going to like deal with re- office rents and talk to vendors and stuff. I just, I'm a trader. I want to sit in front of the screens or in front of research papers or just walk and think about markets. I don't want to deal with all the minutiae. Not that it's bad. It's just like other people are better with it. So I needed to have a business partner for me. That was the key point. And I got to the point when I felt, Okay, I've done a while with my own money. I've articulated my principles very clearly. I wrote my first book uh, in 2014. It came out in 2015. It's called The Next Perfect Trade. In that book, I uh, articulated my trade selection principles, basically kind of like a qualitative how-to manual. I like to say that if I were teaching medical students, my first book is a book on anatomy, and my second book walks you into the operating room. So uh, so this was like a first anatomy of a trade book that I wrote and I felt like I have a clear strategy. I'm pretty rigorous about it. I know what I'm, I've experience, and I, and I had a business partner I could trust. So we launched, uh, we started to take outside money. So the, I started, we kind of started doing it around 2015. I like, get uh, building it in 2016, we started to take outside money. And that was kind of the birth of Honte Investments. Got it.
0: I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for Quarter, and that's Q U A R T R. Now back to the show. Okay, let's dig into let's dig into your upcoming book now because I think that's it's I, I can't wait to read it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's out. Let's it's out now. Yep,
1: yeah, it's out. Ah,
0: oh, good. Okay,
1: great. So we're definitely I'm I'm gonna be ordering it very it's soon. Out, hit the hit a uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller list a little while ago. It's doing well, getting good reviews, but I would love to have more input. More <laughs> yeah. reviews
0: more. Let's do it. And for those who aren't watching the YouTube version, uh, the book is called The Trades of March 2020. And you actually, you did a great interview with Michael Green, who was re- recently a guest on our show, uh, discussing it. Um, and it, and it's really focused on how decision-making evolved throughout the crisis and beyond. The crisis we're talking about Sadly, it seems like we're crisis after crisis, but the crisis we're talking about right now in the book was uh, the outbreak of COVID in March 2020.
1: So can we, can we start with the book's thesis and then, and then we'll go from there? Well, so the book has a, the book has a subtitle, A Shield Against Uncertainty. So the trades of March 2020 is obviously a riff on the eyes of March, but uh, I wanted to show basically what happened in financial markets during the onslaught of the pandemic but also make allow readers to be a fly on the wall in a hedge fund control center. and it's if you're an aspiring trader you might have seen a lot of movies like I mentioned the movie Wall Street you might be watching shows like billions there is this British show they called industry like they all think things that show you things but they're all somewhat biased because they're all Artistic portrayals. Even if you read a book written by a trader, it's a story of that particular person, of their biases, of their reminiscences. I wanted to be as, uh, if you wish, clinical as possible, just show exactly what is happening. And I felt that the tool for this was to actually show all the snap, social media snapshots of current chatter and the, and the shots of our internal company, Trade Chatter. Because then you could really see what is happening minute by minute. You can also see what does a trader's day look like. You could see, oh, yeah, well, so it's March crisis. They're working 24 hours a day. You cannot make that up. Like you can see the, that like the Slack messages just don't stop. Or you can see when they do stop, right, when we're taking a break, right? So you can see like what we're getting right, what we're getting wrong. You don't even need to know like exact transactions we're doing. It's more about what it's like to do that. I think there is a certain area or of mystique about hedge fund managers. Um, I think early on, back from like September 11th crisis, I learned that like there is a commotion. Nobody really knows anything. Like there is no mysterious people out there who know what's going on. Everybody has to navigate it. So how to navigate it? And that in this book, I wanted to show my personal psychological journey and hopefully, which included probably both the do's and the don'ts for young traders, because you could see me screwing up things there. I have shared moments when I was overcome with stress, but I also, how did I navigate that environment? And what I was talking about is that in the middle of commotion, you could sometimes, if you really calm yourself down and think, okay, what is going to, where things are going to be when we're on the other side of it, what is actually certain will this that kind of approach helped me in 2008, and we can go back to that if you wish. For example, in 2008, there were some companies that really crushed which didn't have any debt. You kind of knew that they're not going to go bankrupt. So you could buy cheap certain things in 2008 and 2009, knowing that eventually, one way or another, they're going to have to go up. And there were some moments like this in the crisis that you could say, well, we can look for certain things that one way or another. We don't know how long pandemic will have will take. Uh, we don't know how bad it's gonna be, what variants are gonna be. I don't think we even knew about variants yet back in March 2020. We really didn't know that. Like we were afraid to walk on the streets and touch a leaf on the street in case somebody else touched the leaf, right? And you get COVID. So with all this uncertainty, what was certain that certain things will come to resolution? And what could you do in that environment? And also, how do you survive till this resolution arrives? Because you could know that some things have to happen in the future, but you could sink before they happen. Absolutely.
0: And you actually just touched on my next question because it, I think that's something that you know, without giving too much of the book away. I mean, it sounds like there are things that you can do as an investor or a trader to prepare for a crisis like we experienced. Um, you know, we we all hope COVID nineteen was the worst crisis that we do experience in our lifetime. We're praying that what's happening in Ukraine doesn't escalate to to that level. But inevitably, there will be more crises while we continue to deal with current crises. So what are some things or some additional things that we can do as an investor to prepare for things like this?
1: Well, there is a several strong approach. If you're the kind of investor who has long-term positions on their portfolio, especially if you use leverage, that is, you, in fact, might have position bigger than the size of your portfolio. If you're, not, if you're the kind of investor who just created their portfolio and closes their eyes and doesn't need to maintain it at all, then maybe you don't need to do anything to prepare for crisis. You just sit through it. If you want to be the kind of person who, if you either use leverage to enhance your returns, or you want to be the kind of person who want to take advantage of crisis to be able to buy more or to somehow navigate it to actually enhance your long-term returns and get even better returns than if you just didn't do anything. Then uh, one of the things is sizing, of course. You want to be a little more conservative about your sizing and you can never assume that things are going to be certain way. And for example, recent crisis was a great example, like uh, ruble positions, right? A ruble was a very attractive currency to me before this crisis and suddenly ruble crashed 30 percent and there was not many easy ways out of it that's that's kind of an example that you need to just realize that nothing is stable in this world you cannot ever count on anything you you don't count on things to be certain ways rather you place your bets when you trade you say this is how much i'm gonna risk, and if this goes to zero this is how much i'm gonna lose as opposed to say, there is no way this is going to zero. This is a very, or like there is no way this currency will crash, or there is no way they will raise interest rates, or there is no way they will cut interest rates. Those, unfortunately, those very unlikely events happen more often than you think. And as you mentioned, a crisis, there's always something happens. Long ago, I made this kind of trail that like every three or four years, usually something happens. So, and I will go back to like 1987 stock market crash, obviously, right? Famous stock market crash. 1991 was savings and loans crisis. There is not much in 94, but there was a bit of a bond market crash that people probably, common investors probably don't care. But 97 was first round of Asian contagion uh, in stock, global stock market kind of pullback, back 98 was Russian debt crisis and the collapse of long-term capital management, emergency easing, followed by 2001, September 11th. A little. If you relatively come here till 2007, global financial crisis, then we hit European debt crisis in 2011, starting with Greece, and then European debt crisis. Then 2015, 2016, we had Brexit industrial recession, uh, political turmoil, uh, Chinese currency devaluation, then COVID, and then we thought we would have three or four years, but no, I thought we were okay till maybe like 2024. Nope, okay. we are not okay, right? the yeah. world didn't even give us the world didn't even give us like time to catch our breath i
0: know i i mean it's but uh, you just we i mean it's been it's been a wild three years to say the least right um but uh, you know from a trader perspective you know you're you're we're in you, I'm, I'm. you know again not trying to give away too much of the book but i i just i i want to be that fly on the wall with you in front of the computer on March 11th, even though that might've been even a little bit uh, uh, probably later than some of us who follow the markets closely realize that things were really going, it looked like things were really going to shut down um, even before then. But let's say March 11th, Trump comes out, makes, does the speech, we're shutting down everything. NBA shuts down, all the league shut down, everything. What, what is, what are, what's going through your head? How are you evaluating what things to start to look at and then to potentially
1: start trading you know what put me there what's going on well i think those like middle of the march the actual eyes of march was this turning point for me because in the beginning of march i felt very much in control and this is what i t- like my book is broken down on several sections the beginning is just i have a few chapters in the beginning talking about where i was before like what i was thinking before pandemic, how it led me into it, what were my positions. And then I break March into four weeks. The first week, I call it a victory parade. I felt very much on top of things, like we're making money, we're positioned well for crisis, we're gonna take profits so and now buy some risk assets. Now it's time to buy stocks, use the sell-off. One way or another, it will be over the liquidity. And the second week, I called it the loss of innocence. When you realize, okay, first of all, this is not just happening to some people out there, it's gonna happen to us. So it was very much on a personal level. Okay, I'm going to be personally affected by this. My kids will be staying homeschooling and squawking at home, right? I will be, like, worried about going outside. Uh, I can't even go for a hike because the beaches are closed. And it's like, weather is dreary. And, like, I live in California, but it was kind of dreary. First in March, usually it's nicer. It was not super nice weather. But even given that, even, even given that weather, I would, could probably benefit from hiking more. But everything was shut down. It, and at the same time, I, I remember that sense of existential dread settling in like really about portfolio, about financial systems, about the things like, will I be able to have any balance sheet? Will I be, have any lines of credit? Everything is drying up. Everything is shutting down. Will we have like supply line disruptions? Will like power be on? Right. <laughs> I mean, what is interesting, I was worried about supply lines back then but not in a way that it actually played out. It's it's just always like you have right ideas, but things never happen the way you think they're going to happen. I was worried about those like supply problems occurring much earlier in the pandemic, because I was like, well, someone who is making widgets to keep power plants going is not making widgets anymore. And then suddenly power plant has a, something break down and there's no widgets to replace it. That's the kind of fears I had in 2020. But at the same time, I was uh, Portfolio started to really give me trouble in the middle of the March because everything was tanking. And I was like, I, I was taking, I took, I was still up money on the year. So I shouldn't have been worried, but I was because margins were, very, were being raised everywhere. Uh, all the risk positions that I was taking on trying to see through the pandemic. And that has to do with what I talked earlier surviving till Fed will add liquidity, till things will resolve. That survival seemed not sudden. Absolutely. But, and then, so, okay. So
0: that's where you, so take me once you get through the loss of innocence time period, because here, the reason I want to get through this is because I want to kind of set a tone of ways of thinking, because like I said, there's going to be more crisis. We're in the middle of another one right now. You know, so I'm, I'm, that's why I really wanted to dig into this. So you have that loss of innocence. Then what do you start thinking when you're like, okay. I am now accepted that these things, I will be personally affected by this. I can't go on hikes. There's the existential crisis where we're looking at financial markets and how, you know, what what's going to happen. Will financial systems continue to exist? We see, you know, multiple halts happening. Things are going down five, 5%, a halt, you know, all this stuff. So then once we come to, once you came to accept that, what was your next step? And then how did you overcome some of that psychological
1: turmoil that you were going through? Well, I think at this point, at the points when there is so much uncertainty and commotion, I try to, and this is where the shield comes, right? I try to think, what is certain? What do I know that is going to happen? Like tons of things that I don't know, but what do I know? I know that pandemics pass one way or another, first of all, right? So one of my mantras was, by the way, pandemic will pass, liquidity will stay. Pandemic will pass. I mean, all epidemics pass at some point, one way or another. Either the disease becomes endemic or it becomes cured or there's a vaccination or it just goes away by itself. So I knew that. I also knew that, well, given this environment, the policy, both fiscal and monetary, will be super supportive. I knew that... uh, the Federal Reserve and the government will just keep adding money into the system. And one, and one of the things I realized is back then, they will just keep adding it till there's too much, till there's too much of it. The shortage of money will not be a problem because they'll just keep adding it. And it's just a matter of time, I realized, before there'll be too much money. I see. So the question is how to make it there. So what I started to with certain trials and errors, I realized that I cannot bet on timing. I cannot make any bet on when the crisis will be resolved. Because every time I try to say like, oh, this type of funding pressure will be relieved. It wasn't relieving. It was even like when the Fed did an emergency cut in the middle of March, 100 basis points, cut rates to zero, and Chris announced extraordinary um, asset purchase problems, programs. We still had monetary situation tightening for a few more days, and like stock, markets, stock market was still going down for another week. And that, like till it was like a space from between somewhere between March 15th and March 23rd, we still had an ongoing crisis situation, and then it rebounded very hard by the end of the month, right? Right. So uh, you couldn't bet, if you were to bet that, like, if you somehow, through options or through any other structures, bet that, oh, on March 20th, things will start going up, that's not what you would get, right? So you cannot make this bet, but you can make bet that, look, one of the examples I give, oil. Would I see that oil is going to go to $130? No idea. But did I think that like three or four years from 2020, oil would be back to $60, $70? Yes, and that was an easy bet to make, that oil will go back to roughly normal prices because one way or another pandemic would resolve. The switching, complete 100% switch to electronic vehicles and like getting away from fossil fuels in three years is not mathematically or scientifically possible it's just not possible on this universe right uh so assuming some kind of return of the world to normal you would assume oil prices are returning to normal so this type of trades i started to look at in march 2020
0: got it that that was i was that was going to be my next question is you know how how what did you evaluate without giving maybe specific names or whatever you know how did you start to think, okay, this is how I want to play this. Now that I have, now that I understand what certain, you know, was there a flight to quality? Were you trading in and out of, like when you use the example in 2008, how, you know, you were looking at companies that had gone down quite a bit that had no debt on the balance sheet, you know, thinking like, okay, well, these companies aren't going bankrupt anytime soon. Was there a similar thought process when you first started saying, okay, I need to, I want to deploy some capital and do a couple of trades. You know, is that where you just started and then you went from there?
1: Yes. Uh, in the end of the book, I actually kind of go over like hits and misses, what good opportunities I hit and what opportunities I missed. Fundamentally, the approach was just to buy anything which, which will benefit from being more money in the system because there will be more money in the system. Choices, some choices were right, some choices were wrong. I try to stick to things I know. Obviously, if you bought that particular like one alternative core cryptocurrency, right? You'd be like that particular one stock, you would be the best. But generally, my approach is not to hit that very specific thing, but to do something reasonably certain. So I was looking, I was looking to some stock exposures. I chose to buy Japanese stocks instead of US, but it could have been probably the same result of US. I bought some i also bought some dividend streams which is a little more structured maybe for people who don't do that but the market was through structured market you could see that like europe was pricing is that they're going to cut dividends by 50 percent going several years forward and i was like that's not going to happen why would they cut dividends by 50 percent pandemic will pass they will get money from the government they will start paying dividends again right so i was so that was like a good bet. I was also making some direct inflation bets using uh, interest rate instruments and inflation index instruments because the market was pricing inflation to be extremely low forever, which really made no sense because why would inflation become low forever because of pandemic well, like for decades going forward? <laughs> like it could, I could see that deflation that first year, but I think it was, again, I did not really expect I will be upfront. I will not say that I hit it right this year about this like uh, Fed and other central banks going bonkers and raising rates and all this stuff. But I did anticipate that inflation would pick up after the first deflation bout, right? Because yeah, you of course, there'll be some kind of reopening and there'll be lots of money in the system. So those are the type of bets I was looking for. Anything I could pick up, they seem to be pretty clearly had better than 80% chance of working out over the next two years.
0: Well, again, without naming a name, or if you want to, you can, uh, during that time period, you know, what was one where you were like, wow, I, man, I hit this one right on the head. I predicted this is where it was going to go. And, and maybe that was a differential insight than other folks thought things were going to go. And then maybe uh, as a follow-up to that, why you, were, you thought that way? Whereas the rest of the world wasn't. If you have an example like that.
1: I was thinking like really in 2020, my best probably, and I actually like if you look at the Twitter my Slack stream at some point, I say, you just have to uh, you have to sell everything and just buy inflation index bonds. That was really like my probably best call at that moment. Because, because I was like, well, look. There are inflation index bonds and not only the government is cutting rates and adding liquidity. How much better it is than the own inflation index bonds? For people who don't know, there are there are government issues bonds which pay certain fixed rate plus, uh, plus inflation, right? Plus whatever the inflation is. And you could get, actually at that point, inflation index bonds are trading so cheaply that you can actually get positive interest rate plus inflation. Since then, real rates real rate that's the rate that has gotten actually severely negative but you could get us a positive real rate and i was like well rates are going to zero so the money to borrow this to borrow this bonds is going to cost me zero to borrow money to own this bonds in return, i will be getting inflation plus i don't want to go into a lot of technicalities because i was really doing this is kind of my forte and my background wall street i was using asset swaps structures to do it which enhanced all of this but uh the idea is like the flow just completely undeniable and like a really no scenario in which you could lose money on those trades got it wow <laughs> um what a trade um yeah, it was it was really amazing like that few months it was amazing I and mean, obviously like now in a different environment different things are happening but those like rebound of those trades there is a moment in the book when they re- were bottom and they rebounded so hard we're like not even believing how much they're rallying it was like oh this is amazing this is just, we just bought it and it's like back all the way, all the way back.
0: Yeah.
1: Inflation, here's, I do one more thing about inflation index bonds because stock people could be uh, interested in that. In March, 2020, 30 year inflation index bonds, which are supposed to be the safest instrument in the world, because not only you're protected, you're even protected against, not just you're protected against default because it's US government credit, but you even protected against Interest rates swaying with inflation because if inflation goes high, typically bonds go down. But in those, those actually pay more as inflation goes higher. So it's a very protected instrument. They are more volatile than stocks. Thirty-year inflation index bonds were more volatile than stock market in March two thousand
0: twenty. Wow, you know, Alex. Another question I have, and, and and I think I think you talk about this in the book as well. I mean, how how do you think about you know? whether it's profiting or just making money or just trade, you know, how do you think about doing your job while there's a crisis going on?
1: While there are crises going on? Yes. This is something I touch on, on the book. Uh, If you're a macro trader, like you trade around the world, you, you're affected by various geopolitical events. And honestly, geopolitical events are almost always tragedies. That's what shakes up the markets, right? And you have to always navigate that. Uh, are you pers- even if you're not personally affected by it, it could be happening somewhere distant. You still recognize there is something bad happening in the world. And maybe you're profiting from that. And you're not always, it could, it could be either way. But what I always think about is that the reality is that there are also, when you have investors, Those also real people who need this, whatever, retirement savings or whatever their money. And they hire you to actually navigate through crisis it's like you're a firefighter. You, you don't hire firefighters for the time when there is no fire. If ever, when everything goes well in the world, people will just own the stocks, their houses, and be fine. When there is a crisis of any kind, be it just a purely financial crisis like in 08 which still causes a lot of distress and pain in the world, or something like current war or something like pandemic, uh, you are supposed to try to do your best for your clients. You don't have the luxury of saying. Oh, I'm just sad about the epidemic. This is really bad. I'm just going to go and read a book, isolating myself in my room. That's it, like Firefighters don't have this luxury to say, oh, this fire looks really bad. I'm going to stay stay in the firehouse. But that's how I feel. I feel like I have to go out there and do the best I can. It's not always going to be right, but I'm going to try to do the best things I can whenever there is crisis. <laughs> So
0: I want to I want to now ask, you know, using assuming folks, you know, go out, buy the book, read it, you know, take some of the lessons learned. And, you know, unfortunately, now we can apply probably some of it to the crisis that we're dealing with right now in Ukraine. That's just absolutely horrible. Um, So what, what would you say? Using all the lessons from, you know, not just your, you know, from the book, but also from your career, you know, what, what are some things, how should folks think about, you know, investing and, and trading right now
1: as we're going through this current crisis going on in Ukraine? Well, I think, I think so. My approach would be, and this is what I'm trying to think of myself. And honestly, I'm, I, I'm in it, right? Just as you saw me in the book fumbling like if you read this book you saw me a little bit fumbling and trying to find my stride in that crisis of march 2020 i'm trying to find my stride in this crisis now and you're not always find your stride in every crisis not every crisis you because there is no guarantee that the crisis will start in such a way that it's favorable for your portfolio i've been through a few of them and some of them went better for me and some of them went worse just the key is to make more money when you're making money than lose when you're losing money. That's the first rule, right? So so speaking of which, you have to look at like, okay, there's probably going to be some kind of resolution of this. And the problem with this crisis is that unlike pandemics, wars sometimes don't go away. In the sense that there is a path. I'm not saying that that's my personal opinion, but I'm just saying that there is a likely path that it's going to be a protracted, frozen conflict. But what I think is, that one way or another, and by the way, I totally didn't expect this to... I was totally flabbergasted by and dismayed by this blowing up to this level. And uh, of course, it's very difficult for me to watch all of this happening on a personal level too. But I'm just saying that I didn't expect things going to that level of tension, and that level of conflict. But right now it is really on the forefront of media, but it's beginning to fade just a little bit. One way or another, it's going to have to go into the background in a few months, either because the conflict found a resolution or because it became a frozen conflict and people just and pe- people will just move forward. So you need to look at... So certain things are very hard to bet on because they might depend on the resolution of the crisis. For example, if you wanted to bet on ruble, it's legit. Maybe you can say, well, maybe this is time to buy rubles. The rates are high. One way or another, they will resolve it. Maybe. But maybe you say like, you know what? sanctions will only get worse. Things will only get worse in Russia. Maybe you want to be negative. I'm not going to tell you like what you should be doing, but that would be a speculation. If you wanted to make a bet on ruble, if, if, if that would be a speculation on what is going to specifically happen in this conflict. A lot of energy bets would also to an extent be a speculation on the resolution of it. But I think you have to think about, is there anything distorted by this crisis? And I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna front, I'm not gonna give you an answer right now. I'm just gonna give you just a way of thinking because I wish I had the answer, right?
0: Right, no, I right.
1: mean. It, so, I, so is there anything distorted by crisis that will get to normal levels when that crisis went and goes under the background?
0: Yeah, and, and you know what, I think I think really the question, how I should really form the question is, you know, what are the certainties? That we can maybe look to right now, um, going going on right now when when we're on you know in wartime basically you know and and how to think how to think through some of those some of those thir- certainties as to
1: maybe potentially how to play and you, you hit on a few of them just now yeah I think I think I think for me the certainty is that the crisis will go into the background of course there is always like people are talking about nuclear war scenario but I don't know if we care about our portfolio so much in this scenario uh though we might honestly people always think of it's like binary in the sense that oh it's an apocalypse there's a lot of scenarios between everybody dying and there's a lot of bad scenarios which don't involve everyone dying so so some preparedness is not a bad thing for various scenarios but uh, up to an extent we just have to decide okay well let's just assume that we're not all that dead right so what are we gonna Uh, how we're going to manage our portfolio from there. So that's one certainty. I mean, there are certain like things at the edges which are happening, which kind of probably pretty obvious, like increasing military spending in Europe, possibly increasing increasing push for energy independence. Probably those things are kind of a given. Uh, You could probably, uh, you could see like pros and cons in terms of like further push towards nuclear energy. On one part, People say like, okay, we need to, and I think already in Europe people are beginning to say like we don't want to decommission nuclear energy because uh, we want to have more energy independence and it's a good path to energy independence. On the flip side, uh, maybe like the panics around nuclear plants in, in uh, Ukraine will cause people to like more worry about security around mm-hmm. nuclear programs. Who knows? I mean, what I'm saying is like, I'm just going to be devil's out Funky things might come out of it, but I think push towards energy independence, push towards... Kind of remilitarizing militarizing Europe to an extent seems to be a given. Pushed uh, and the fact that things will go in the background and Europe will go back to a normal life at some Western Europe will go back to normal life at some point. Uh, oh, sorry, you were saying? No, go on. Yeah, like for example, one thing that I would say, like, is a big uncertainty for me. Look, there are three million refugees. That's a significant demographic shift. Yeah. Are they going to go back to Ukraine? I think those are the type of refugees that might go back to Ukraine if things are stabilized or not.
0: Yeah. No, look, I, no, it, I it, it's, a, it's, it's, it, my, from this my own per- personally, you know, obviously we're, we're 100% behind the people of Ukraine. We just want to see this resolved as swiftly as possible to just end the bloodshed and, and. And this, Um, and, you know, it's it's unfortunate that, you know, we still do have to talk about what uh, from a financial perspective and trading investing side of things, you know, because these events do affect capital markets you know, so it's important to talk about, we try and talk about it as soberingly as we can. And with all due respect to everyone that's being personally affected by this, including both of us here, you know, on the show, you know, so that, that's, that's why we have, to, we have to talk about it, you know, and, and I appreciate you going into, you know, some of the things that either could potentially happen, things that are relatively certain and just putting it on the spectrum of trying to understand okay this is more likely to happen this is less like you know so I, I think i appreciate the perspective on all of that and and appreciate your sobering kind of look at it as well um so to close close out our conversation on on your book which is it, where is it available it's available on amazon every everywhere you yeah, everywhere, right yeah
1: everywhere like any uh, anywhere online but amazon yeah you just the moment you type in my name the moment you type in the trades of march
0: it's it's will, there okay
1: oh, It'll well, be well, there for you.
0: Yeah, got it. So, what would you say is the primary takeaway that you want people to
1: to have? You know, after reading after reading this book. I think I just really it's I, of this book. I don't think of it as a didactic book. It's not like I'm trying to teach you a lesson. It's more of an exposition. I want people to read this book and see what it's like and see what it's like. It might be just a uh, um, way for people to find out. Is it for you? Uh, or is it just for for professionals? It might be just to compare notes. Unlike my first book, in which I said this is how you construct trades, this is how you construct portfolios. Sure. This book is about it's, it's all about just this is what it's like. I mean, I'm this is my story. I wrote a story about the crisis that I've done well in, obviously, but it's also messy. And I, I think like one of the takeaways is that it's messy to go through crisis, and even if you're success, even the most successful, like I was one of the most successful firm during this crisis, but you could see how many mistakes were made, how many setbacks have occurred, how many screw-ups happened. And I think it is important for trader to people who want to go into this world to understand that you have to have certain character makeup and certain psychological fortitude to go make it to that. If you're the kind of person who's going to be dragged down by, by should-ups and should like, if you're going to be like forever dwell, like, oh, I really wish I bought this yesterday. And I mean, we we'll all think that. I mean, obviously, I think all the time, I wish I did this yesterday. But the question is, are you the kind of person who can move past that and keep going and saying, okay, damn, I, okay, so I promise not to curse, but I cursed. <laughs> I should have bought it yesterday, right?
0: <laughs> I, we'll let you go on, damn. Okay. Well, right. I think you're okay.
1: Right. I <laughs> I, I really, I really should have bought it yesterday. I should have done this. I should have managed my risk better. I should have cut that risk, but and go then to the next stage. Okay, I have the portfolio I have now. What do I do with it? That is like really important. You have to have that light bulb in your head. This is the portfolio that I have today. This is how much money I have today. Well, the money that I lost yesterday is already gone. That's not here. I have this much money today, and is my portfolio right now the best portfolio? I can think of under circumstances if it's not let's change it if it is let's keep running it the circumstances could be very different it might involve your risk management your investors your bosses your views all of those things you feed them in and say do i need to change what i have in front of me a okay. lot very good
0: all right so my last question for you today you know before i let you go what would you say was an investing experience that changed your career, or investing or trading experience that changed your career the most, or set you on the path that you are today?
1: I think uh, for me, like uh, the fact probably that when I started on Wall Street, it was kind of I was kind of baptized by fire on Wall Street because I, my first year working was '97. I came to work for Bankers Trust, and right away, like. I didn't even know what was going on yet, but we had asian contagion crisis in '97, And it's funny that I keep using this term, it really was all about stock markets. It's like Malaysian, Thailand, stock markets falling and it's spreading around the world. And then as a very junior trader still, I had to face Russian uh, debt crisis in '98. And that Russian crisis and LTCM crisis, um, I just worked out that I had to actually shoulder some responsibilities. And I very early on, I really understood like, the concept of markets, how markets work in crisis. And I, mm-hmm. as a very junior person who barely had any experience, I saw things that super fancy hedge fund managers on the other side did not see because they were not sitting at a trading desk. They were like asking where such and such is trading. And I was like, nothing is trading, it's frozen. Markets are not operating right now. And this idea that markets sometimes do not operate I was introduced to it very early in my career. And of course, then followed September 11th, followed. But that kind of concept, that idea that markets actually might not operate, that you cannot just buy and sell anytime or whatever you want, was very early to shape how I think about positioning and portfolio construction.
0: Very good. Well, I'll we'll have to have you back on to, to get into that. Uh so so Alex with that, where can our audience go and find more information about you? Follow you on social media. And uh I mean you already you already told us where you can buy the book, but you know, if you want to give the website specifically, now now would be a good time. So the easiest
1: way to follow me is on Twitter. I have a verified account. It's A Gurevich, like my like first initial last name, A Gurevich 23 on Twitter. Again, if you look me up, there are lots of Alex Gurevich's, but I'm probably gonna be the first one to pop up on most things. My corporate website is um www.honte.inv like honteinvestments.com. It's uh, there is some public information there. The rest is only for qualified purchasers who can register if you appropriate for for the fund. But otherwise, you can still find some social media clips and stuff on the corporate website. Easiest thing to follow me is Twitter. Very good.
0: Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe, and I look forward to our next update.
1: Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. It was fun. Thank you.
0: podcast. podcast.